Welcome back, dear listeners. This is Charlotte, Creative and Technical Director at Evidence for Faith. We are in the final lesson of our Ephesians 2.10 series, and this one is titled Salt of the Earth. Now, I do need to warn you, uh, this was filmed live at Riverside Bible Camp. That's not the warning. The warning is that there is a technical and user error, my user error, and that the audio quality is not going to be that great. So I did my best to stitch it together. So if you hear the audio quality being a little more hollow or it switches tone at one point, that's just what I had to do to stitch everything together so we had the full lesson. So don't worry, your phone or your listening device is not glitching out on you. It's just me. As always, you can find the full video, PowerPoint, worksheet, and other resources at evidenceforfaith.org. You can also directly support this broadcast and help us keep it free by donating at evidenceforfaith.org give. That's evidence, the number four, faith.org give. And with that, here is Michael in Salt of the Earth. Good morning. I don't have to compete with fans today. Fans like, like oh wow, I'm a celebrity. No. The fans in the windows. So um, I am not going to use a microphone because I have a big mouth. And don't believe me? Ask my wife. Um, I have a big mouth. I'm a used to be a teacher. I'm used to teaching in classrooms with a lot of people. Can you hear me in the back? Thank you. If you couldn't hear me at that point, I was going to be okay. What do I do now? Um, so I'm going to do that because that frees up my hands, and I like to talk with my hands, and that makes me a lot more comfortable being able to do that, and I can move around a lot easier. Isn't this cool? Look at this, I'm walking way over here. I'm neat as that. Anyway, um, little things thrill me. Uh, what we're gonna be talking about today as we wrap up this series, and we've been talking about Ephesians 2.10, and basically um, how we're supposed to live is our, our focus on today. Last night we talked about salvation in particular, but today, I want to talk about something else and actually move to a different passage of Scripture in describing how we're supposed to live. As it says in Ephesians 2.10, that we were created, we are new creation, we are created to do good deeds and to spread that around. We're not saved by doing good deeds, but we are saved to do good deeds, to do good works and stuff. That's what we're supposed to do. But how are we supposed to live? That's what we're going to talk about today as we get into this. So, I want to open in prayer again. You might be thinking, what? I'm praying an awful lot. Well, why did Jesus say when he walked into the temple uh, to cleanse the temple? Did he call this place, oh, this is a place of, you know, just uh, preaching? No, he never called it that. What did he call the temple? A house of prayer. prayer. So let's pray again. Father God, we again come before you. What a beautiful day you've given us. We thank you. You've removed a lot of the humidity, and we can be a lot more comfortable. And Lord, as we can see a beautiful uh, sunny day here, and just looking at the trees, the, the water moving through the river, hearing the awesome sounds, everything that you have created shouts to your existence. And it shouts that you are there. You're a master painter. You have created so much beautiful artwork upon this canvas that we call life and earth. And you can see, we can actually see your brush strokes if we examine the, the rocks, the trees, the leaves, the sand, uh, the water. We can see the brush strokes of your creative hand in this. And Lord, as I get ready to speak this morning, I pray again that you would please just use the words that you have given me. That your spirit, Lord, do the teaching to the people. 
I'm just a mouthpiece. You, oh Holy Spirit, teach the people. You know their hearts, what they're going through, what their troubles are, and we just ask for your guidance on this. And we give you honor and glory as you deserve in Jesus' name. Amen. As I told you, used to be a teacher. I taught grades. Someone asked me this week, what grades did you teach? I have taught from first grade all the way through college. Yeah, I am sure there's some kids uh, that I had in first grade are probably seeking counseling today by having me as their teacher. But the thing is, I taught all the different grade levels. And one subject, uh, or one time, I was teaching for a while in middle school. And I had a, a, a student whose name was Mark. And because these are being recorded, I don't want to say Mark's last name, <laughs> have people try and figure out who this was. We'll just say his name was Mark. Mark was one of these students that, well, he was the kind of person, if I was to say, okay, I, I want the class, I'm speaking to the class, I want you all to do this and not do this. Mark was the one who always did the opposite. I don't want to do that. I want to do what you told me not to do. And so he would always do this. I, I mean, it was his, his way of life, it seemed like, in, in elementary school. He constantly was doing what we, he wasn't supposed to do. And at one time, I had, in this classroom, I had a lot of aquariums. And in these aquariums, they were saltwater aquariums. Now, being I was teaching in Illinois at this time, we didn't have a lot of saltwater ocean around to go out and just pick up buckets of water. Not like when I lived in the Bahamas. When I lived in the Bahamas, had aquariums, it was easy. We could just go out and fill up buckets of water, put it in the car, and bring it back to the lab. Down, uh, in Illinois, you can't do that. So we bought a product that was called, are you ready? Instant Ocean. <laughs> they really make such a thing. Just add water, put your sea life in there, there you go. And uh, the ocean is sort of salty. And so I had these buckets in the room saying instant ocean. And I told the students, you know, this is salt. They could see me, make up salt water, put it in the tanks and stuff. But I told them, don't ever taste this because this isn't like table salt. This is a little different. It's not your ordinary table salt, not sodium chloride. There's other things added to this. So don't ever taste that, thinking that that's salt. Well, Mark's in the room. <laughs> you know what happened. One time when everybody was busy doing something and I wasn't paying attention to Mark directly, Mark went over, unscrewed the lid of this five-gallon bucket, took a handful of salt, and thought, it's salt. Next thing I knew was this coughing, crying boy sitting over on the side of the, of the room hiding, and his tongue was sticking out, and he was, ah, ah, and I go, what's the matter, what'd you do? And he goes, I ate the salt. I said, that's not salt you eat. It's got a lot of other chemicals in it. There's bromine, there's sulfates, there's all sorts of things in here. And he goes, oh, my tongue is burning. Well, go get a drink. That's Mark. Or another time, I do marine biology trips down in the Florida Keys. We have one planned for this coming Easter. We always go down at Easter. It's awesome to have an Easter service underneath the coconut and the palm trees right by the ocean. You can't, you just can't imagine what it's like. We even have a communion service on, on Easter morning right there underneath the coconut trees. Yes, it's a little dangerous. If coconut falls out of the tree, it can kill you. As a matter of fact, more people are killed by falling coconuts than are killed by lightning strikes. True. And when the kids come down, because we're right there at the ocean and there's sharks in the water, oh my gosh, 
I'm getting eaten by a shark if I go on a trip. No, you're more apt to get hit by a coconut and die. <laughs> there was a student, again, this was in Illinois. I was teaching high school. There was a gal named Sarah, sort of a tomboyish type girl. And she was very, very into swimming. Now in Illinois, where I was teaching, there were ponds and lakes and sports clubs. She was one that swam often. I mean, anytime, we didn't have a pool at the school, but anytime in the summer, spring, fall, she would be in the water swimming. She was very active at this. So she came on the marine biology trip. This would have been back around the mid-90s. And she came on the trip. She'd never been out of the state of Illinois. She'd never seen the ocean. And after we got down to the Florida Keys and got settled on our little island down there, and we had our introductions and our orientation, then I let the students go off and do whatever they're, you know, they could have some free time as we're setting up this hotel that we've rented out the whole place, setting it up as, as a marine biology camp. Sarah, um, as most of the other students, they go in their room, they don their swimsuits, and then come running out. We had a beach at this hotel and go swimming on there at the beach in the water. I was standing down at the boat dock right by the beach doing some work, setting some things up. And here came all these, these students come running down there. Sarah was one of them. I'm like, okay, yeah, go have some fun. Go splash in the water as I'm working. Sarah came running, starts running into the, uh, right off the beach, into the water as she's running down in there, and then gets about waist high and just goes like this and swims under, just like you would in a freshwater lake. Though I don't advise doing that right out here. It's pretty shallow. She goes under the water, she comes up, and she's coughing and spitting. And I go, what's the matter, sir? Are you drowning or something? She goes, that is salty. And I go, it's the ocean. Yeah, but I knew it was salty, but that's really salty. And I go, well, yeah, we're in the tropics. It's a little saltier in the tropics than it is like in the North Atlantic or something. But I, she says, well, the, the sports club, it doesn't taste like that. That's fresh water. There's a little salt in there, but not like this. You go, wow, really salty. So people learn a little bit about salt uh, the hard way sometimes. That there's different types of salts, and salts have different uses to them. So we're going to focus a little bit today on salt. and Because Jesus teaches about salt. And in doing this, he teaches us how we're supposed to live. And it's such a cool, cool lesson he's given us here. And we're going to go through this little lesson on how we are supposed to go through life. So, we're going to talk about, when you see up here on the table, I've got a few things. I've got some salt. Yes, this is salt. Um, some of it's sort of cute. If you're into the color orange or pink, ooh, how cute. You know, ooh, I like that. If you taste it, you have to have coffee. Some are really salty. Some are just plain white, white pieces, just cut out like that, pieces of salt. Look at this beautiful piece of salt. Isn't that great? Nice. Yeah, wow, cool. Um, I have, my wife doesn't know this, but it, 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 at nighttime, if we've been sleeping in the camera, every now and then I get up. I'm not a big salt person. I don't put a lot of salt on my food to flavor it, but I have been getting up. She doesn't know this, but I do get up at nighttime. Uh, I, every night this week I've been getting up and going over, picking up this thing and sitting and licking it. <laughs> I have no idea why. <laughs> but it's really cool because the salt here pathogenic or disease-causing germs and stuff don't survive on this. It's too salty, and they can't live through that. But it, it's really cool that you can buy salt like this. I mean, we're used to salt like this. This is salt like, you know, this is sea salt right here. Now, this is not instant ocean. Don't go home, kids, thinking, I'm going to build a saltwater aquarium. And I've had people do this, where they, 
They've gone home, they buy a bunch of Morton salt from the grocery store, pour it in a tank, put a, like a chromus fish or something like that in a bowl and think, oh, this fish dies in a little bit. What went wrong? Well, you're using ordinary sodium chloride salt. You can't do that. That's not what this is for. This is a good salt to eat. That's salty too. My mother-in-law, we were talking about this last night, my mother-in-law, Denise's mom, used to just sit and eat salt out of the jar, pour it in her hand and just sit and do that. How many of you put salt on watermelon? Must be a southern thing. Okay. Anybody put salt on like apples, green apples? Must be a southern thing. You put sugar in tea? But we have salt. Salt's used for a lot of different things in flavoring and stuff. And so I have some examples of salt that we're going to talk about. But, boy, we're my mouth is really salty right now. But anyway, yeah, that'll learn me. Yeah, learn me. That's good. Teach me, right? <laughs> Do you know that salt's mentioned? Yeah, that's a great idea. Uh, you can't see it, but my wife is holding up a water bottle. <laughs> oh, thank you. That is much better. There's no salt in that. <laughs> At least I hope you didn't put salt in that. But anyway. Salt is mentioned in the Bible. Do you know that salt is mentioned 46 times in the Bible? 46 times in the Bible, salt is mentioned. Um, 32 times it is mentioned in the Old Testament. 14 times it is mentioned in the New Testament. Salt is a subject found in both Old and New Covenant books that we have here. So salt obviously is important. And as we get into salt, why is it so important? Why do we see it in here? Is because, if I can get this thing to work here, I hit the wrong button again. I can't even see where I'm at. Where is the mouse? Mousey? There we go. There we go. Yeah, it's daytime, mice running high. Anyway, historically, salt has been used as an important source of income and wealth. Did you know that? making it one of the most wanted products in production in the world. I have an ancestor who would have been, let's see, um, great, great, great grandfather, who in southern Illinois bought a whole lot of land, and the reason he did so is there were salt deposits on it, salt mines, salt works. He became very wealthy just because of the salt. He was able to buy more land. It's, it's a massive area down by the Shawnee National Forest. Matter of fact, the county he lived in is called Saline County. Saline is from the Latin word for salt, salarius, and that's where that, that name comes from. Salt is very common in southern Illinois, and so he bought that. It's, you can be very wealthy if you have salt. When I lived in the Bahamas, we would have some interesting experiences where um, my wife and I, we owned a boat when we lived in the Bahamas, we would go out often, whenever we possibly could, and go to other little islands. There's over 700 islands in the Bahamas, only 26 are inhabited. So it's very easy to get in a boat and just shoot out to an island and have the whole island to yourself. Coral reef right off the shoreline, nice private beach. You can, you know, just have a, a wonderful time out there. And we used to do this frequently. Well, sometimes these coralline islands that are there, up above where the ocean shoreline is, where the beach and stuff is, up higher, there are pits in the coral, rocky pits. And when storms come up, uh, hurricanes or just tropical storms or depressions come up, big waves will get splashed up along the shore and they splash and they fill these deposits. 
up on, on the island. Well then, what happens is that water is stuck in those little places. The tropical sun comes, evaporates the water, and as you walk around, up on top of these things, you can look around and see in these pits just white salt. And you can literally just pick up handfuls of salt. You can do that. We used to take uh, spear uh, crawfish, uh, what you call lobsters here. We'd spear those. We'd spear groupers, a hogfish, um, all sorts of different types of fish. And she would build a beach. Uh, on the beach there, she'd build a little fire. And we would cook our fish and stuff right out of the ocean, just like that, crawfish and stuff. Uh, we always kept, like, aluminum foil in our boat. And so she would make a little pan out of that, put a pound of butter on that, get a fire going as the coals start to go down, put that on there with a pound of butter, squeeze some uh, key lime or lemon and orange juice in there. And then I would go out spear like lobster or something, cut the tail up and put it in there and just sort of cook that. We're sitting on the beach watching the sunset and eating this right out of there. If you need a little extra salt, just go for that one of those little fish, kick some hemp salt up and just sprinkle it in there. It was so cool. Why am I living in the Midwest? <laughs> this was our way of life. Now God's got a sense of humor. <laughs> I, I, uh, I teach marine biology. That's my background and stuff. Uh, a lot of biology um, in the marine world. And God's got me up here in northern Wisconsin. There's not a coral reef for 1,500 miles away. God's got a sense of humor. But anyway, salt is so fascinating like that. It has been used throughout time for uh, different ways of, of monetary gain, for making money and stuff. And just to show you a couple of things here, like I say, the salt plays a major role in the economy. It still does. It's major. Buying, selling, trading of salt is crucial to certain cities and cultures and nations. In the Bahamas, the southern Bahamas, there are long, these islands are very flat in the Bahamas. Bahamas are not mountains if you've never been there. They're not mountains, they're very, very flat. And there are certain islands down a place called Great Inagua, way to the south, where it's a very large island, but it's very shallow. And so they have come in and they have flattened and made like large wading pools. It's just what it looks like, big wading pools. They're only about three feet deep. But they can pump seawater right out of the ocean into these things. They're miles across. And they fill it up with seawater, and then they close it off. And they just let the sun evaporate the water away. You can do the same thing at home. Take some salt water, mix it up, get it all salty, really salty, and then just let it sit out for a few days in a dark can or something out on a picnic table. As the sun evaporates the water, you end up with all the crystals in the salt. You can do this. It happens naturally on Great Inagua. Then what they do after the water's gone, they go in and they shovel up the salt, put it in bags. Morton comes by, the company Morton, and they buy that and they sell it as sea salt. Wow. Isn't that cool? It's a major industry in the southern Bahamas. So salt is used in a lot of ways like that. Also, salt has played a central water. It does right that one, didn't it? Um, oh, I'm doing the wrong button again. That's why. There we go. In Greece, salt was often used as currency. How would you like to get paid in salt? Wouldn't it be cool? Kids, you go to a store or you go someplace, here's a vending machine. And they have those candy bars in there called $100,000 bars. You like those? Those are the font kind you, what, you don't know what a $100,000 or 100 grand, is that what they call them now? Back a long time ago, come $100,000. That was back in ancient times when they started using money. 
but 100 grand or maybe a Twix bar or something like that, you know what I'm talking about? And you put like coins in the machine and then you pull the knob or you push a button and whoop, out pops the thing at the bottom. Wouldn't it be interesting if it was still done like in ancient Greece? Like the vending machines back then? Okay, oh, I want some of that, uh, that type of candy right there or that type of soft drink or whatever. So I brought my jar of salt with me and you throw salt in the thing. That's what it would be like. They used to use this for money. Do you know in ancient times, this is a lot of money. <laughs> you like money? Hold out your hand. There, I just gave you some money. <laughs> Don't spend it all in one place. But that's money. In ancient Greece, they used to use that. As a matter of fact, back in ancient Greece, when they would buy slaves, they didn't use money often for slaves. You bought them with salt. That's where we get the phrase, a person, a person is not worth their salt. The weight of their salt. That's where that phrase comes from. It goes all the way back into ancient Greece. Because they use salt as currency. And not only that, there were other cultures too, like the Romans. Do you know that during the time of Christ, soldiers were not paid many times in gold or silver coin. They were paid in salt. Salt? What I got on the kitchen table? Yes. It was so valuable in ancient times, and I'll explain why in a moment. It was so valuable in ancient times that many of them would prefer to be even paid in salt as opposed to silver. Because if they got paid in silver, they had to go to the market and buy salt. So it became a lot easier just to give them salt. Isn't that weird? But that's what it was like in the time of Christ. Roman soldiers often got paid in salt. Now the Latin word for salt is salarius. And by being paid, did you catch the root word here? When you take a job, you get paid a certain salary. Why do we call it salary? It's from the word salarius, for salt. That's how we got the word salary. And it all is related. We just don't think about this because we, we read our Bible today and we don't, we're not Jewish. We're, we're not in ancient culture. So a lot of this we don't understand. But if you study scripture and you study the culture of what it was written to and at the time period, you start to see, wow, there's some really interesting things here I never saw before. So that's how we got the word salary. And we use salary or salt for a lot of important things. In ancient times, you had to use it for certain things. Now, this is where it gets really interesting because Jesus refers to salt also. And he does this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. I want to look at this and focus on this for a second because this is a phenomenal, interesting passage. Now that you know a little bit more about Saul, we can understand a little bit more of what's going on here. Jesus is talking to his disciples, his followers, or what we could say today to us Christians, his followers, his disciples. It says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, Salt was used in ancient times for a lot of reasons, of which I'm about to show you. I mean, how many of you have ever eaten, ever gotten a paper cut? You ever get a paper cut in your hands? Doesn't that hurt? Did you ever eat potato chips when you had a paper cut? And then regret it? 
<laughs> it burns. Or eat salty peanuts out of the tin, like a can of planter salty peanuts when you got a paper cut. Or you got a scrape or a cut on your hand, you start eating it. It burns, doesn't it? You know why it burns? Because it's salt. And what it does is it will kill certain organisms. They used to use this in medicine. Back a long time ago, a couple hundred years ago, they used to flog. That's taking a whip and flog people. Even Jesus was flogged. But what they used to do sometimes in the British Navy in particular, after they would flog a person for getting drunk or something on duty, they would um, whip his back with a cat and nine tails and just cut, cut deep cuts in it and stuff like this. Then he would go down to be treated by the ship's doctor, who was usually the, the carpenter on the ship. They often didn't have doctors. They were carpenters. So, yeah, what did the carpenter do a lot of times? He would take salt. They're out at sea where the ocean is. They had salt. They would take salt, and they kept salt on board, and they would throw salt into the wounds. Mm. Then they would pour vinegar on it. Vinegar is an acid. helps to kill bacteria causing germs. The salt does and the vinegar. And they would take brown paper, like what you would have in a grocery bag, those old-fashioned grocery bags, not the plastic ones, the old ones. Some stores you can still get that. They kept brown paper on board, and they would soak that in vinegar and in salt water, uh, and then place that on the person's back. And they would lay on their stomach for a couple of days with this on there. And they often did not get infections because of the salt and the acid from the vinegar doing this. Yeah, it's painful. But salt was used for medicine. And it was an important tool for medicine to be used like that. So salt is really important. And in the time of Jesus, when Jesus is talking about this, now you're starting to see why salt was so important. For one, it was a salary. But another thing that it was used for was to preserve foods. Pickles. Anybody here like pickles? Oh, yeah. I got a jar here of pickles. And um, guess what? They're in vinegar. And they're in salt. They're salt stirred in with the vinegar. Why? Because it kills and prohibits the growth of germs that would make you sick. That's why, like yesterday, we had pickles, or yeah, yesterday morning, or lunch. We had pickles. I made a couple of pickles. Did you guys eat pickles yesterday? Yeah. Were they salty? Yes. That's why. And that's why. These things can last. If you take a cucumber out of your garden or buy one in the store, cut it up in wedges like this and set it out, how long is it going to last before it spoils? Not very long. You put it in vinegar and in salt, it lasts a lot longer. Because the, the, the stuff, the germs and stuff that would make it grow and become dangerous to you, the salt, and the vinegar too, but the salt really cuts down on that and it stops it from growing. That's why salt is so important. We use salt today for so many things. Yeah, pickles. These are these actually have spices added to it too. We, we found this out after I bought it and took a bite of one of these the other night. Um, grabbed a pickle like, yeah, it's hot spicy in there. It's good, a good kind of burn, if you know what I'm talking about. So this passage here, we're starting to see some reasons of using salt. It was a preservative. It was used as medicine. It was used as currency. So Jesus would naturally talk about something that everybody is associated with. As Jesus is walking around teaching, people all know about salt. So he teaches lessons using what was right there with the common people. He was a great teacher, a master teacher. And a master teacher often uses what is available to teach lessons. This is what he's doing. 
They all, everybody knows what salt is. Everybody's house has salt in it. Everybody had salt. So he says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, we also use salt like this for flavoring. You ever put this on, like, uh, corn on the cob? Or you put it on um, steak? Season your steak, let it sit there with some salt on it for like a half hour before you grill it. Ooh, really tastes different. Yeah, you can get some good flavoring on it. You can oversalt things, but you can put just, it, it really enhances the flavor. Many recipes, if you watch cooking shows, they put salt in there. Why? It enhances flavor, it makes certain flavors come out. So all these people at the time of Jesus, they understood this. They knew about salt. We sort of today take salt for granted. We just think of it as something to put on popcorn. No, it was used for so many different things in ancient times when Jesus was teaching this. Now, look at this once more. He calls us the salt of the earth, and he says if salt has lost its taste, in other words, if it's no longer salty, that's still salty. If it loses its taste, it's, it's not good for anything. It says it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and just walked on. It's useless. It's worthless. Now, what is Jesus talking about? What is he talking about here? What does he mean? Well, I have, I'm 64 years old. I have sat through a lot of sermons at different churches under different pastors. I've read many commentaries on, on this also. And people have sometimes preached some very interesting uh, sermons on that passage as to what Jesus is meaning. Let me give you four very common ones that I have grown up hearing over and over. A pastor would say, maybe, salt is a purifying agent. It does purify. It preserves things. It's a purifying agent. So we Christians need to be a purifying agent. We need to be pure, pure in heart. That's what Jesus is talking about. Christians, followers of Jesus, we need to be pure in heart. So Jesus, Jesus is using the salt thing. I don't think that's really what he's talking about. Well, here's another one. We Christians need to add flavor to the world. Salt adds flavor. So some pastors will say, oh, we need to add flavor to the world. Let's put salt on it. You, know, you need to go out and flavor the world for God. I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. Because, yeah, they used it for flavoring, but it was used for so many different things back then. I don't think that's what it was either. A third example that I've heard many times, it's used as medicine. If you add it to a cut, it stings, as we talked about. And I heard this one just recently, in fact. I heard a pastor on the radio talking about this passage, and he says, we Christians need to bring a sting to this world. Make the world uncomfortable with its sin. Good fire and brimstone type sermon on this. Well, I don't think that's what Jesus was talking about. And then here's a fourth one that I've heard. Eating salt makes us thirsty, as you just saw a few moments ago. It makes us thirsty. So we Christians are supposed to cause a thirst, make people thirst for the, for the word of God. Well, to be totally honest, and I've heard these, and I've studied this for many years on this passage, I don't think any of those are exactly what Jesus is talking about. Now, I will say this. I do believe that there is some validity, there is some truth in all four of those. But I think they're missing the main mark of what Jesus is talking about because they're not thinking of the culture and the time that Jesus is speaking on this. I think we miss the boat a lot of times. And that's the thing about Scripture. A lot of times because in our modern world, we don't understand 
because we're not Jewish, we're not living in ancient times, we don't understand the culture, and so we sometimes sort of miss messages like that. And I think this is one of these times. Now, like I said, all four of those reasons, those there are some valid truths to each one. I have no question about that. I, each one of those four reasons, there is some truth to them. But I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. So let's see, what is Jesus actually talking about as we do this? Jesus uses the term, first of all, salt of the earth, as a noun. So this is where grammar, I know some people in school are like, oh, I hate grammar. Study grammar. You know why? It helps you to understand the Bible better when you study the Bible. I'm not talking about just reading the Bible. I'm saying taking a verse, looking for the verbs, looking for the nouns, looking for the adjectives, finding out what did this mean back in the first century or in ancient times, like in the time of David and stuff. Look for stuff like that. That's studying the Bible. You ask questions like who, what, when, where, why, how, as you read a passage, a verse. Do you know there's no law in the Bible saying, thou shalt read a chapel or a chapter a day or thou goest to hell? That's not in the Bible. The Bible didn't even have chapters and verses. Those were added centuries later uh, to help us just navigate and find things in the Bible faster. No. I don't think, and I teach many classes, I've taught college classes for years on how to do Bible study, and I don't believe there's any... Um, Scripture that you can find saying you have to read chapter. Sometimes I have spent days, literally days, studying just one verse. Just looking at it carefully. Asking who, what, when, where, why, how in these passages. And just this past week, I was, I just started, I finished a book of, um, of Acts, which I've been working on for months. I just started Romans. Um, I spent three days studying Romans. I still haven't got, uh, I haven't got past the second verse yet in three days. And I'm spending about a half hour, 45 minutes, because I'm studying. I'm just not reading, I'm studying. It's not like Hamlet, I'm just gonna read Hamlet. Why, I don't know why, <laughs> I never cared for Hamlet. But you read things like that in literature, but you study the Bible. So, in this case, Jesus is using salt of the earth as a noun, in reference to his followers. It was his disciples then, but it's us today. So this actually pertains to us because we, as Christians, are followers of Jesus Christ. So he's using it, salt of, as us, a noun. So we are, this is what he's talking about. And just as salt has been used in the preservation of food, we should set and stand apart from this corrupt world. Salt was used to preserve food. That was the primary purpose in the first century of salt. You used salt because they didn't have refrigerators, they didn't have freezers. So how did you take your meat? If you bought meat in the market, how did you treat it? You had to cook it right away or something like that, or you could salt it to preserve it. We still do it today. Anybody like this kind of stuff? I need a volunteer. That hand went up fast. Is it okay? Are your parents, is it okay if you have a piece of this? I'm asking you. It's okay if your parents tell you you can have <laughs> Okay, I'm going to open this up. And you know how tempting it has been to have this in my room? What have I been eating? The salt cube. <laughs> yeah, there's something wrong with me. 
It's okay. Here we go. It's just plain. This is on just original beef jerky. I want you to take a piece. Ooh, nice thick piece, right? What are you putting in your mouth for? Did I tell you to do that? <laughs> smell it. What's it smell like? Steak. Steak? Well, what are you waiting for? Eat it. <laughs> A little tough, huh? Does it taste salty? You don't taste anything? Any salt or anything? Okay, is she alive? <laughs> you don't taste any salt. Okay. Maybe she's... Salt anemic or something. <laughs> Who else would like to try a piece? You want to try a piece? Reach in here and tell me. Because one of the major ingredients on here is salt. Now taste it. Yeah, yeah, get a good piece in there, yeah. You taste any salt at all? Yeah. You should. Yeah, they're passing it around over here now. <laughs> oh, give me some more. Okay, it tastes salty. Because this is what they used to do. I used to, working at the camp in, in uh, northern Wisconsin in Fort Wilderness, I used to do classes in the nature center I wrote on jerky and how it works. You can take the beef here on whatever, hamburger, steak. I use steak usually. We cut it in, in strips. And then I salted it. I put a salt. Actually, I always added sugar to mine. Uh, salt and sugar together because sugar will work the same way. And I would marinate it overnight. Then I put it in a dehydrator and let it evaporate until it becomes like this. Then you take it out and you know what? The ordinary raw steak, if you let it sit out on your counter, how long will it last before it's not safe to eat? A couple of hours. Raw meat does not last long. Why? There's bacteria, there's sponges and stuff that'll land here and they'll start breaking it down. They'll start consuming it and producing toxins that can make you sick. But if you put salt in it, if you soak this thing in salt, you cover it in salt and let it dry out like that, this can go for months. In ancient times, that's how they did it. At the time of Christ, they salted fish, they salted meat, so that it would last without refrigeration. Peter could not go in his house after walking around with Jesus all day and uh, open up the door to the refrigerator and pull out a cold can of Coca-Cola or pull out, you know, a, a little leftover lunch meat or something. You couldn't do that. They didn't have that. So they had to use salt to preserve things. So that's why salt is important in that time period. We are called to be a preservative to the world because that was the way the people associated salt. It was money. It was valuable. It was a preservative. Every market had salt. You had to go to the market often and buy salt so that you can take your food, salt it, dry it in your courtyard or whatever, and then it would last for a long period of time. See, that's the culture that Jesus is teaching to when he teaches this. Now, we take like beef. You add it to the beef, the, uh, the salt to it. The growth of fungi, bacteria, it stops and prevents a lot of the decay. So it can be stored for a long period of time. It's preserved. We Christians need to help retard the moral and spiritual decay of the world around us. But remember, Jesus in this passage is talking specifically to us followers. He's not necessarily at this point talking to the whole world. He's talking to his followers. He doesn't call the whole world to solve the earth. He's calling his followers. So he's telling his followers something special here. And because salt is used for preservation, 
to preserve things from decay, he's telling us something important about how we are supposed to live. That's what this is getting into. Um, he continues to say, if salt has lost its taste, it's not, it's not used for anything except to be trampled on. Now, I remember one time years ago, sitting in a church service, and a pastor got up, and he was standing at the pulpit, and he was teaching about this lesson. And he said salt can, can lose its taste of salt if it sits long enough and is not active. It loses its sense of salt, the taste of salt. Thus, it just becomes like rocks, and you can just walk on it. And I'm sitting there like, huh? Salt can lose its taste like that? That doesn't sound right in chemistry. You see, salt, ordinary table salt, are two different molecules. You have one of sodium, and you have one of chlorine. Chlorine is dangerous by itself. Sodium is dangerous by itself, particularly if it gets wet. <laughs> I blew up my class one year with sodium. <laughs> Everybody needs a hobby. <laughs> Thank God, it was a beautiful day. It was down in the Bahamas. It was a beautiful day, and instead of teaching in the warm classroom, I took my class outside, and I had a block of sodium. Now, I had, I had heard about this experiment, taking pure sodium. Uh, Tom, you're going to get a kick out of this. Uh, I, I heard about taking sodium, but I never had, I never saw this in college or in high school. Them taking pure sodium, which is stored like in kerosene, they took out a piece, a small piece, not this big, and they would drop it into water, just ordinary water. What happens is you get a chemical reaction very quickly, and it produces a lot of heat. And it bubbles and sizzles and stuff because it's giving off hydrogen gas really fast from the water. And you get hydrogen gas, but it also gives off heat, and it can actually form small flames. So I had never seen it. I'm using an English textbook, a book from England. I'm teaching in the Bahamas. And in the English system, everything is done in metric. And they said, in the teacher's edition, it says, how big of a salt thing to do as a demonstration for class? Well, they're sitting here, and I'm looking at this, and I understand metric. I'm a scientist. I work with metric. Matter of fact, I have problems working with fraction. Even when I build something at home, I like to use metric system. I use meters and centimeters and stuff like this whenever I build stuff. That's my wife. That's why I'm always getting goofed up, because tape measures never have metric on them. So I took this big wash tub, and I took this big thing. I, was, I remember going into my classroom the night before to practice this, and as I'm sitting here with the textbook, it says to use so many centimeters by so many centimeters. And the thing is, I was like, my gosh, this is big. It, I always thought this was a little piece. Actually, it was not in centimeters. It was a cubic decimeter. <laughs> it was supposed to be a cubic centimeter, which is smaller than this. It said it was like 100 times that. It's a decimeter. So it's 10 centimeters by 10 centimeters by 10 centimeters, which is the entire piece of sodium I have. And I'm like, really? And I check, and I check, and I check again. I can't believe this. But I guess this is what the textbook says. I've always heard about this, never did. So the next day, this was my first year teaching, by the way. Went outside into the, the uh, schoolyard. We had both an elementary school and uh, a high school, all on the same grounds, different buildings. Uh, my wife, at that time, we weren't dating even when this happened. She was over in the elementary school. I went to high school. But we went out to the play field, and I took a big wash tub, like you wash a dog in, 
And I filled it with water, had my students all stand around. I gave the hose to um, a student named uh, Sharon, who was standing here, and I said, and she's filling up the thing, and I said, now, um, I want you to stand back, because this, the book doesn't, this doesn't seem right, but we're going to do it anyway. We're going to do it outside. I opened up the container, I took out, the, it was about a, probably a pound of sodium. Wow. And I'm like, everybody stand back, I'm going to drop this in there. And so I did. Dropped it into the water, it plunged down below. And then immediately came up floating, hovering above the surface of the water. It was producing hydrogen gas so fast that it was like hovering. And all the students were like, ooh. Now, i got to explain something. I had a student named John. John would always come into my classroom every day, and his, as soon as he walked in the room, let's have an explosion today. <laughs> he got his wish. <laughs> and I told John, stand back, everybody stand back. That thing hovers. It produced a beautiful blue flame, gorgeous flame. Everybody started to run forward. John, in particular, went running up, and just the second he got close to the thing, it sounded like two tons of TNT went on. A massive explosion. Boom! It was heard all over the island. And when the dust cleared, the wash tub was gone. <laughs> There was a small little depression in the coral where we were working, and John had little pieces of sodium all over his face, and he's getting burned. So I, and Sharon, who was holding the hose, she parted her hair down the center, she had some sodium here. I took, and I got it on my hands, we were the only three that had it, had it on us. I take the hose from Sharon, pour it on her head, and John is like, this is burning! And I look at him like, whoa! So I show, I just put the hose right on his face, and his face is popping. It's so cool. <laughs> John, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry. <laughs> but um, after it was all done, I, I they're all like, quick watch them. He couldn't find it. It ended up being over by the elementary school. <laughs> the bottom was found about 50 yards away. Um, the, the other part was found, the walls of it were found over at the elementary school. But the green grass, we had a heavy dew that morning. Sodium pieces were everywhere. There were fires starting all over the <laughs> So after I got the students back into the classroom, I'm burning so because I got sodium on me. In the teacher's, uh, or in the principal's office, there's a shower. So I went running into the shower from there and just ran through the office, went into the shower, and closed it all. I just stood there with the water running on me. The principal came out. <laughs> they're all talking in the office. What was that boom? What was that? They're all talking. I, I come out of the shower dripping wet. They're like, do you know anything about this boom? I said, yeah, it was my class. <laughs> I blew up the class. What? And yeah, they had to get custodians, a guy named Cedric and stuff, they had to go around and put the fibers up. Uh, couldn't have the kids on the playground that day. Uh, it was quite an experience. Uh, the students all remember this to this day. Uh, they keep in contact with it, they all remember it. But uh, my, the, the principal came up to me afterwards um, when things calmed down and he says, how could you, because he, he has a science background, he said, how in the world did you screw this up so bad? I said, I've never seen this done, and I'm just following directions in the book. He says, you're only, how big of a piece you use? Oh, it's probably about a pound. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, well, she has a little piece. And I said, well, I just followed the directions in the textbook. And he said, let me see the textbook. And he's looking, because he's the guy who picked out the textbook. 
and he's looking through here and he goes, it's a cubic decimeter. He says, that's a misprint. Part of that page was burned away too. He's like, hey, he says, that's a misprint. So because of the misprint in the book, I didn't get in trouble. I've never repeated that experiment. I told you that, explaining what sodium and chlorine are. If you take a chlorine molecule, that's a poisonous gas, if you take a sodium, uh, an atom in each one, you bond them together, you stick them together, you get sodium chloride. It's an ionic bond, it's a very strong bond. It's really hard to, to separate these. Matter of fact, if I was to take a little bit of this salt right now, sprinkle it on the table, and try and separate it with a hammer, making it smaller. It's really hard to break this bond. This is always, pretty much in nature, this is going to stay sodium chloride. So in ancient times, this was going to stay sodium chloride. So when a pastor says that salt can break down and not become salt anymore in its own, if it sits there long enough, I was like, afterwards, when I went to the pastor, I said, do you understand chemistry? And he goes, yeah, what's the problem? I said, salt doesn't do what you said. It's still going to be salt. Well, you didn't think the Bible's wrong? I said, no, the Bible's not wrong. It's your interpretation of the science here. You can't break this and make it not taste salty. Something's, something's not right. Well, I, well, what's Jesus saying then? It says that salt can lose its taste. Yes, but it's still going to be salt. Let me explain why and what's going on here. Salt really cannot lose its taste. After all, it's just a Sodium and a chlorine atom bonded together. I mean, in equal proportions. That's salt. But, you know, even for 100 years, come back. This is going to still taste like salt. That's not what this is talking about. But, what's Jesus mean here? The salt doesn't become unsalty. No. But it becomes contaminated. It becomes contaminated with other elements. Remember the story I told you at the beginning about Mark and against the ocean? There were other things in there with it. You can't use instant ocean for cooking. It'll burn your tongue. It'll taste terrible. It burns. It doesn't taste like this. It has a different flavor. Why? Because it's been contaminated with other elements. Arsenic, bromine, and stuff like that can, can get with the salt. It doesn't make it not salt. It's still salt, but it's contaminated with stuff. And that's what you taste, and that can taste really bad. Salt can become contaminated by what's around it. Starting to see what Jesus is saying there? This happens, when this happens, when it becomes contaminated, it's no longer going to be used for cooking. You can no longer use it for, for preservative. It can burn your tongue. It can poison you. There's a lot of things that can happen. And they understood that, that if salt is found with contaminants and stuff, you can't use it in the same way. You don't want to put it into cuts. You don't want to preserve food, definitely, with it. You don't want to use it that way. So it's useless at that point. And it's not good for anything except just to throw out to the streets. I believe, because that's what the first century, the culture was like, I believe, that's probably what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is telling us here that just as salt can become contaminated, remember, he's speaking to Christians, his followers, the same way that... that Salt can become contaminated with what's around it to make it useless in the first century. The same thing can happen to who's he talking to? Us Christians, his followers, 
we too can become contaminated by what's around us. You catching that? Just because we become Christians doesn't mean we are free to go out and do whatever we want. How many pastors have you heard of or people in ministry got contaminated by the world around them? Maybe kept it a secret for a long time. There's been some famous ones in the last few years that got contaminated and we didn't even know about it for a long time. But pastors, evangelists and stuff sometimes get contaminated by the world around them. They start letting the world impact them instead of them impacting the world. And they become contaminated just like salt can become contaminated by whatever it's associating with. We need to be careful of this. I believe that's what this is talking about because this fits with the culture of the first century. When a Christian gets involved in worldliness of sin, they are contaminated. It gets to a point where we're no longer valuable. We're no longer effective for the kingdom of God. We don't lose our salvation. Just like a, a butterfly doesn't turn back into a caterpillar. We don't lose our salvation, but we can become effect, uh, uneffective. We can become useless for the kingdom of God if we start getting into this. If we're true Christians, I'm talking about. There are some people who claim to be Christians they are really not Christian. They fall away. That's very obvious. But we can, as Christians, we can use, lose our purity. We can become disqualified for service to the Lord if we let the world contaminate us. Salt is very useful. Has fantastic properties to be used. But if it gets contaminated with other elements, it's useless. All the things that it will be used for, which was so important in Jesus' day, it can't. Jesus said we are no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. We lose our opportunity of ministry. As many of you know, we have just started a new ministry. We've launched a new ministry starting in May. Evidence for Faith. My staff and others who are associated with it, they know one of my major fears. One of my major fears, I talk about this frequently, is that I don't become contaminated by the world around me. Because I want to be useful for God's service. So there's certain things, there are certain sins, because I still live in a sinful world, that I am attracted to, and I pray God help me not to fall into this. But sometimes we do. But we have a forgiving God. And we talked about that yesterday. Let me leave you with this. Bible passage here. It's in 1 Peter. Chapter 1, verses 14, 15, and 16. I'm reading this out of the God's Word translation, which is a thought-for-thought -thought translation, not a word-for-word -word translation. It gives you more the meaning of what God is saying. Look what it says here. Because you are children who obey God, don't live the kind of lives that you once lived. Once you live to satisfy your desires because you didn't know any better. But because the God who called you is holy, you must be holy in every aspect of your life. Scripture says, be holy because I am holy. People who claim to be Christians and then boast about their sins, there's something wrong there. They say, well, this is the way I am. This is the way God has made me and I'm going to be like this. That's not repenting. You know what Jesus' message was to the people? 
To Christians, it was to love your neighbor. But the message to the world was repent. You see that at the very beginning. In the Gospel of John, as Jesus starts his ministry, his message was to repent. John the Baptist came before him. The message was to repent. When Jesus took his disciples and sent them out to go out to the cities, 70 of them at that point, to go out to the cities, I can just imagine Peter saying, well, what am I supposed to preach? What does Jesus say? To tell them to repent. Repent. That's the message. Beloved, don't get caught up in the world. Satan knows your weaknesses. He knows where to attack you. He is very crafty. Even his name, Satan, means adversary. He is out there to do you harm. He is out there to prevent you from serving a holy God. The last thing Satan wants of you is to be holy. Yet that is exactly what Christ is telling us to be. Because God is holy, you are to be holy. Don't jump into the sin. When you see it, as Paul told Timothy, when you see it, literally flee. Run the other way. Get away from it. Live a holy life. That's what we're called. I hope you enjoyed that episode. A big thank you is due to our donors for making this ministry possible. Once again, you can become a donor at evidenceforfaith.org slash give and help us keep this broadcast free. That's evidence, the number four, faith.org slash give. You can also support us by sharing, subscribing, and leaving a review on this podcast. If you would like to hear Michael live, you can check out our bookings calendar at evidenceforfaith.org. This is Charlotte signing off. I'll see you on the next episode.